today, please open to the sixth chapter of John. Today we're looking at John 6, verses 25 through 36, 47 through 51, and 66 through 69. If you have your bulletin, be sure and look on the back of your bulletin at the outline. Lord willing, that will be a, a help to all of us as we walk through this passage today. Today, excited to bring this text. This is our fifth sermon in a series of seven on the I Am's of Christ. So far, we've looked at I Am the Way, the Truth, and the Life from John 14. I Am the Light of the World from John 8. I Am the Gate from John 10. I Am the Resurrection and the Life from John chapter 11. And today, our fifth I Am, the Lord Jesus says, I Am the Bread of Life. If you're able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. Again, John chapter 6, starting with verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who had excuse me, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Now jump to verse 47 through 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then finally, verses 66 to 69. After this, many of his disciples turned back. And no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Pray with me, please. Lord, I pray that in this hour, you would remove every distraction from this place, that we might hear and receive your word, that, we, that it might be received like we're good soil, receiving your word. That means, Lord, prepare our hearts to receive it. Remove every distraction, whether it's mental or physical or emotional or spiritual. Bind the evil one that we might see Jesus from this text. For believers here today, may we grow in our relationship with you. May we continue to feed on the bread of life and see how you are food for a hungry soul. And if there is one here who has never tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if there's one here who has never eaten of the bread of life, Holy Spirit, would you draw that one savingly to yourself? We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. I'll start this morning with a story from my college days. When I was in college, I went to King College in Bristol, Tennessee, and Bristol was my hometown. And I remember uh, that first week of college, all the freshmen and everyone found the, the student center and we found our new mailboxes and we went to our mailboxes and opened them up, and man, it was stacked full of stuff. Everyone's trying to give us information about something. Everything was still on paper back then. There was no, no mass emails sent out. So going through the paper of my college box, I pull out a flyer, and I actually see it's from my home church. And the flyer says, come to this church. It's called Tennessee Avenue Baptist Church. Come to Tennessee Avenue Baptist Church this Sunday and we'll give you a free meal, King College students. And that flyer was put in every box at, at King College. Come to church and we'll give you a free meal. So I want you to know that Sunday, when I went to my home church, I looked around and I saw a ton of people I went to school with. They had come to church that day. And when church was over, we all went over to the fellowship hall. And when we walked in, I mean, there was fried chicken, mashed potatoes, green beans, the works. It was great. And we all sat and ate a meal together. Isn't it great to have a free meal? But the next week, I went back to church and I looked around. I didn't see any of my college friends. They were nowhere to be found. And it dawned on me, if the food is there, they're going to come. But once the food is gone, they're not coming anymore. They're not, they're not interested, and no one showed up that second Sunday. You know, when the food is handed out for free, people come. But when it's taken away, no one seems to come back for events like that. Everyone needs food for their stomach, and it's rare in life that people, anybody for that matter, will turn down a free meal. You've seen the movie... Um, field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Well, if you feed them, they will come. That's the fact, in fact, I did youth ministry for 14 years, and I found that to be very true with teenagers. If you feed them, they will come to your event. Now, friends, I tell you this story about my college days, because right here in John chapter 6, there's another story 
about a free meal. Now we started, as you know, in verse 25. So before we get to that verse 25, let's go back to the beginning of chapter 6 and let's look at the context of verses 1 through 24 before we jump to our text in verse 25. You see, in John chapter 6, it's that great chapter. We all know the miracle when Jesus fed the 5,000 people. There was a large group that had followed Jesus. They had watched his miraculous signs. Jesus had already turned water into wine. He had already healed the man at Bethesda. And they were following Jesus. And Jesus says to Philip, where are we going to get bread to feed all these people? And, and Philip, using logic and reason like any man would, right, says, Jesus, eight months' wages would not be enough for every single person to take just one bite. Andrew comes running up and says, Jesus, here's a boy, but he only has two fish and five loaves of bread. But what is that? Amongst so many people. I mean, the disciples had figured it out, right? We don't have the money, and what we do have is not enough. This can't happen. So Jesus said, have everybody just sit down on the ground. Can you imagine that announcement? Just everyone sit down. Jesus is going to take care of this. The Bible says Jesus gives thanks, and he breaks bread and fish. And scriptures tell us that it's distributed to every person there and everybody had their fill. It's not that each person just got a bite, right? They were actually full. And then Jesus said, go collect the extra pieces. And how many baskets? Twelve baskets were left over. A miracle occurred. And then Jesus knew what was getting ready to happen. He perceived that the crowd was getting ready to take him by force. So the Bible says he withdraws to a mountain by himself. But his disciples, they go get on a boat and they sail across the Sea of Galilee. And then we get to the next day. The next day the crowd... The crowd that had noticed Jesus didn't get on the boat with his disciples. They searched for Jesus. They couldn't find him. So they too decided to go to the other side of the sea and to search for Jesus. And when they got there, when they found Jesus, they go up to him and say, Rabbi, how did you get here? Right? In other words, we saw you go a separate way. You didn't get on the boat with the disciples to come across the sea. We're surprised to see you here. How did you get here? And friends, it's right here where we begin our text today. Right here is where verse 25 picks up. And friends, today as we start moving through these three different portions of John chapter 6, we're going to see that Jesus Christ, the master teacher. He uses the earthly reality of food for the body to teach us the spiritual reality of food 
for the soul. I have a question for you. What's worse than your stomach being empty? It's your soul being empty. And Jesus uses the physical reality of food for the body to teach us the spiritual reality of food for the soul. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Three points today as we walk through the text. You see them on your outline. The command, the contrasts, and the conclusion. Let's go back first and look at the command. We're going to reread verses 25 through 27. So if your Bibles are still open, John 6, 25 and 20 through 27. Look at the text with me. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Right? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs. Did you get that? Not because you saw signs, but because you ate. Ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. The crowd finds Jesus and they come up to him with a question. How did you get here? When did you get here? But Jesus knew the intent of their heart. Even though they had clearly seen his miracles. Okay, Again, he had turned water into wine. He had healed the man at the pool. And he had just taken two fish and five loaves and fed 5,000 people. He had done all of that. They still didn't believe in him. In fact, the only reason they were there is they wanted another meal. They had had their fill the day before, and they wanted another meal. They were hungry again. So they went to find Jesus, not because they believed in him, but because they were hungry again. They wanted their stomachs to be full. So what did Jesus do? He knew their minds were on physical food. And he used this opportunity to teach them a spiritual truth. He gives gives them a command in verse 27. Look at it. Verse 27, the command of Jesus. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Jesus is saying to them and to us, don't put all your energy in life into things that spoil Things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Don't put all your energy, all your time, all your efforts into that. You know what Jesus is teaching us? The difference between the temporary and the eternal. Let's walk through that for just a moment. The temporary and the eternal. You see, Jesus knows that they're, more, that they're more focused on the temporary life, food for the body. And they should be focused on the eternal life, food for the soul. Yet, friends, we know that in life, there's more things that are temporary than just food, right? The problem is, is that so many of us, we try to take those temporary things 
And we try to use temporary things to fill a void that's in our heart, to fill a void that's in our life, to give ourselves eternal satisfaction. And it never, ever works. People do it all the time. How do they do it? They do it with money. They say, you know what? If I just had more money, I could fill this void, this emptiness in my life, emptiness of soul. If I just had $10,000 more a year, I could pay all my bills. And they try to fill their eternal need with a temporary solution. They try to fill it with possessions, nice cars, nice homes, the things of this world. If I just had nice things and I could run with the Joneses, that would fill that void in my life. Many people do it with entertainment. Playstations, Xboxes, videos. They just zone out and they go into this world and they try to get their eternal satisfaction through playing a video game or watching it on the screen. Here's one that hits home with me, sports. People try to fill an eternal void by focusing on basketball or baseball, soccer, swimming, whatever it might be. In fact, so many times in our lives, we take these things, even with our children, we take sports to so much, so much extreme that we end up missing worship on Sunday. How about beauty? Our hair, our dress, our shoes. Now, let me back up and make sure you know what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that these things can't be good and right in the sight of God. Friends, I want you to know that God knows we need money to buy things. God knows we need a house to live in. He knows we need a car to drive. God certainly allows us to watch movies and play video games, participate in sports, even to have good shoes. In fact, all of those things can be means to glorifying God when they're seen in the right and proper context. But what I am saying is this. When we love the things of the world more than the things of God, we have a problem. When the temporary trumps the eternal... When the temporary becomes our constant focus, friends, we find ourselves breaking the first commandment because at that point we've put something in front of God. And friends, that's what Jesus says in this command when he says, do not work for food that perishes. Don't just put your effort into the temporary. But he says this, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. Let me give you three concrete examples of this. One from church history, two from the Bible. Have you ever read the book, The Confessions of St. Augustine? In that book, St. Augustine talks about the fact that he used to focus constantly on the things of the world, the temporary. Here's what Augustine did in his life. He focused on immorality in relationships temporary relationships he tried to use that to fill an eternal void in his life and he had relationship after relationship after relationship and he still had this huge huge void so he went from relationships to philosophical systems manichaeism 
was his system. That was a system where you were wise in your own eyes, and he studied that system, yet it came up void in his life. Then he turned to pride. Augustine wanted to be a famous speaker. His desire was to be the greatest public speaker of all time. And friends, what he tells us in his book is that for years he was eating bread that spoiled. He was eating the temporary, and he focused on the temporary, not the eternal, but then he got saved. He met Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And God taught him to focus on the eternal. In fact, if you read the very first page of the Confessions of St. Augustine, he says these words, God, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Not in relationships or pride or systems. The biblical examples. How about Solomon? Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon, the son of David, he focused on the temporary. Man, he chased worldly pleasures. He chased cravings. He held on to his possessions, hoping they would give him meaning. And then in that second chapter of Ecclesiastes, he says this. I learned that life under the sun, that is, pursuing earthly goals without seeing them as a means to glorify God, This will only lead to emptiness and futility of life. Solomon finally realized life without God was empty. It was like eating bread that's spoiled. The third one is the rich young ruler. Matthew chapter 19, this young man, something is burning in his heart. He's got a question to ask. He runs up to Jesus. And what does he say? Jesus, what do I have to do to have eternal life? So Jesus answers him, do the law perfectly, right? Don't make a mistake. You'll be fine. And Jesus starts listing the latter part of the law. If you don't make a mistake, rich young ruler, you'll be fine. And what Jesus was doing was trying to show the young man that that's impossible and he needed grace and mercy. But the young man, being young and probably not thinking through things as well as he should. Has anyone ever done that when you're young, not think through things as well as you should? Hands are being raised. I love the honesty, the transparency on this middle row right here where my daughter is raising her hand. Love that. He doesn't think straight. And you know what he says to Jesus? I've already done that. In other words, Jesus, I've already fulfilled the law. But his heart's still burning. Something's not right inside. The the young man keeps asking Jesus, what else do I got to do? I mean, Jesus had just told him what to do. If the answer was yes, it should be yes and done with. But his heart's still burning because he knows he's not right. What does Jesus say to him? Well, before Jesus says to him, Jesus probably looks up and sees what this man is carrying, right? All those possessions. He was a rich, young ruler. Jesus looked up and he saw all the possessions this young man had. And he looked at the young man and said, Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And come and follow me. Now I wish I could tell you that the end of that story 
said that the young man did exactly what Jesus said to do, that he sold his possessions and he followed Jesus. But what does it say? Do you know, you know the line? He went away sad because he had great wealth. Do I think Jesus is saying that having possessions is wrong? No, I don't. Abraham had a lot of possessions. But what I do think Jesus is saying to that rich young ruler is, young man, if you love your possessions more than you love me, your possessions, are, that's what's holding you back from coming to me. So you need to get rid of whatever it is in your life that is holding you back from coming to me. And that means you go sell it or you, know, you, know, you go give it to the poor. And you come and you follow me. Friends, when we love the things of the world more than we love God, that's a problem. And it was a problem for the rich, young ruler. I have a question for you. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That question originated with who? Jesus Christ. If that rich, young ruler had gained the whole world, if Solomon had gained the whole world, if Augustine had gained the whole world and they lost their soul, what does it profit a man? That's why Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes or the temporary, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Can I ask you a very plain question? Have you ever seen a U-Haul attached to a hearse? Neither have I. It's funny, but friends, there's a truth there. You can't take it with you. Job says, naked I was born and naked I returned. The Lord gave, the Lord taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Friends, let us view the temporary in a biblical manner and let us pursue the food that endures to eternal life. That's the command. Number two, the contrast. Look back at verse 30. Don't you love a question like this? Just think about the context as this question is being asked. Listen to this. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Are you serious? Really? You just witnessed me take two fish and five loaves of bread and feed 5,000. They had their fill and we had 12 baskets left over. And you're really going to come and ask a question like that. What are you going to do to show us this truth? One commentator said it this way, that they demonstrated their thick-headedness, and they graphically showed unbelief. Let's talk about unbelief for just a moment. Friends, I want you to know that unbelief will never be satisfied, no matter how much evidence you give it. Do you know that in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said that unbelieving people would not be convinced even if someone rose from the dead? which is exactly what Jesus did, right? 
yet they would not believe. And they continued their unbelief with this ridiculous question, demanding another sign. And as they demanded that sign, they appealed to the Old Testament. They said, we're going to nail Jesus on this one. We're going to talk about how Moses gave manna to the people in Israel. So Jesus says, okay, let me jump right back into this conversation. Jesus says, let's talk about the manna story. The first thing Jesus told them was, listen, first of all, Moses didn't give those Israelites anything. That manna didn't come from him. It came from God. That manna fell from heaven. And we remember the story. Bread would fall from heaven and be gathered and eaten by the Israelites each day. So Jesus takes it one step further. He says, now my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven to give life to the world. So the people respond, give us this bread. If you have this bread, give us this bread that gives life to the world. And what does Jesus say? Here it is. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Yet you've seen me, and you still don't believe. And Jesus takes this opportunity to teach. He's the master teacher. He takes what's presented to him, this Old Testament story about manna, and he says, let me now teach you using this illustration of manna. And as he does it, he teaches us using three contrasts. If you look at the back of your bulletin, you'll find all three listed. Let's go through them one by one. Jesus teaches that manna is a shadow and that Jesus is the reality. Now, what do I mean by that? I'll tell you another story. When I was about eight, nine years old, I can remember getting ready for bed at night in my house growing up, and my mom and dad would, would send me down the hall into my room, and, and I'd get in bed. So I'd jump in bed, I'd turn the lights off in my room, but I'd always leave the hallway, the, the light in the hallway on right outside my room, and I'd leave my door open so I could have some light coming in uh, to my room. And when I'd go to my room, I would patiently wait in bed because I knew that at some point, my mom or my dad, they were going to come down the hall and kind of tuck me in, tell me goodnight, um, those type of things. And I would watch out my door of my room. I could see into the lit hallway. Even though my room was dark, I could see into the lit hallway. And where the light was, I could always see the shadow of my mom or dad on the wall before I saw my mom and dad. So when I saw the shadow moving down the hallway, I knew mom and dad, they were right behind that shadow. Someone was coming. So the shadow came before the reality of my parents. Now take that illustration and apply it here. In the Bible, there's shadows 
and realities. There's things that point you to something better and greater to come. For instance, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 says that the law is a shadow of the things to come, not the reality itself. That the law of God, the whole sacrificial system, was a shadow that pointed to a greater reality of Jesus Christ. The shadow of a lamb or a goat being sacrificed pointed to the greater reality of Christ being sacrificed for our sins. So there's all sorts of shadows and realities. David was a shadow of Jesus. David was a shepherd king. Jesus is the great shepherd king. Actually, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the king of kings in the book of Revelation. In this instance, manna is the shadow. Jesus is the reality. Think about it this way. Manna came down as bread from heaven, and it was bread for your stomach. Jesus came down as the bread from heaven, and he is bread for your soul. You see, Jesus takes the temporary, and he teaches us the eternal. Number two, man gives temporal life. Jesus gives eternal life. Let's talk again about the temporary Manna was so temporary. They had to collect it how often? <laughs> Every day. Could they take what was collected on Monday and eat it on Tuesday? No, they had to eat it that day. It was temporary. In fact, if you tried to keep what you gathered on Monday for Tuesday, what happened? It had spoiled. It was rotten. There were maggots on it. See, there's something going on in that Old Testament story. There's a shadow there that's pointing you to a greater reality. Jesus is saying manna was temporary. It was never intended to be an eternal solution to the void in your soul. It's for your temporary stomach. But Jesus says, I am the bread from heaven, and I'm not temporary. I'm eternal. I endure. I last forever. You eat of me, you will never be hungry. You drink of me, you will never be thirsty. I'm the bread of life. Number three. Manna was given to Israel only. But Jesus, he's given to the whole world. You know, in those Old Testament stories, it's the Israelites who take of that bread. And they eat it. Yet, when Jesus comes down as the bread from heaven, he says to us, I'm not just here for Jews. I'm here for Gentiles as well. I love Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, yes, but also to the Greek you see the day of Pentecost, you see the Holy Spirit coming down and people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are getting saved. And the gospel comes down and, and Jesus says to his disciples, go into the world. You go make disciples of all nations, not just this nation, all nations. But John 3.16 says it best. God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. And friends, I want you to know you're included in that whosoever. And I want you to know that the bread of life 
left heaven and he came to this earth not just to nourish your stomach or the temporary but to feed your soul forever friends as we move towards our conclusion now let's look back at the text one more time because I want you to see what happens at the end of this story verses 66 through 69 listen carefully to what happens after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him this is not talking about the 12 disciples this is a general word for the many hundreds who were following him 67 so Jesus then said to the 12 he looked at the 12 and he asked this question do you want to go away as well Simon Peter answered him, and I love this. Memorize this one. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Friends, I want you to know that as you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to find that after Jesus teaches People get offended. They don't like it one bit. We know in verse 42 of our text, the Jews grumbled against him. Then Jesus continued to say things like, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Things that we didn't read, but are in the portions of the, thing, of the text that we didn't read. And these folks could not handle it. They could not handle the spiritual truths. You see, even though Jesus encouraged them to get rid of the temporary, to focus on the eternal, they only wanted the temporary. They only followed Jesus because their stomach had been fed. They wanted it to be fed again. And when the food ran out, so did they. And they left him. They followed him no more. Have you ever felt abandoned? I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ knows what that's like. His humanity meets our every need. He knows what it's like to feel abandoned, not only on this day, but later the twelve ultimately abandon him, right? Peter ultimately denies him three times. He was abandoned. They were more concerned with the food that perishes than that which endured to eternal life. So Jesus looks at the twelve. He looks at the twelve. Can you imagine the look in his eyes? And he says, do you want to go away as well? And Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed. We've come to know that you are the Holy One from God. Look, Peter gets it wrong a lot. We just talked about one example. He got it wrong at the Mount of Transfiguration, but he gets it right right here. This is the best answer. To whom shall we go? Friends, as we close this morning, I want you to have at least three takeaways from this sermon today. Three questions for you. The first one is this. In your life, is there too much focus on the temporary and not enough focus 
on the eternal. Every single day of my life, I have to say yes to that. Friends, we all need earthly possessions to live. All those things I mentioned earlier, they can be good and right and even used to glorify God in the right and proper context. But are we like that rich young ruler that we're so in love with the things of the world that we abandon God? If so, let's remember what Augustine says, that our hearts are going to be restless until we find rest in him. Let's remember that Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. Let's remember what Jesus says, because what is it going to profit a man if he gains this whole world and loses his soul? Therefore, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Number two, do you see yet not believe? These Jews clearly saw the miracles of Jesus, but they did not believe. In fact, they asked him, do another one. (laughs) What else are you going to do? Folks, evidence is not the problem. Unbelief is the problem. Now, you might ask, well, how does any of that apply to me in 2019 here at Church of the Redeemer? Let's go there. Maybe there is someone here who, like those Jews, have been around Jesus a long time. You've attended church for years and years, yet you still, in your heart of hearts, standing before God, you don't believe. You've read about Jesus, you've heard about Jesus, but for some reason, you've never given your heart to him. Folks, this stuff happens. Judas followed Jesus every day for three years and didn't believe in Jesus. If that's you today, I pray for you that the Holy Spirit would open your heart to Jesus, that you wouldn't be like that rich young ruler, that you wouldn't walk out these doors sad because you have maybe great possessions or wealth or something temporary that you're holding on to. And friends, I want you to know it's not too late. The arms of Jesus are open wide. Come to me, Jesus says. All who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. But number three today. It's a simple question, but this text absolutely demands it. Why do you follow Jesus? At the end of this story, in the the verses in the 60s, this was the question. Why do you follow Jesus? You see, there was a group that followed him just to get a free meal. They'll follow him as long as he keeps feeding their stomach, taking away their temporary issues. But once Jesus stopped talking about the temporary and started talking about the eternal, they wanted nothing to do with him. They abandoned him, and they followed him no more. Friends, why do you follow Jesus? I encourage you, don't follow him because your stomach is empty. but because your soul is empty and it needs to be fed by him. If you eat food now, you're going to be hungry later. If you drink water now, you're going to be thirsty later. But friends, if you eat and drink on Jesus Christ, you will never be hungry. You will never be thirsty because Jesus is the bread of life. Pray with me, please.